0: We are beginning a brand new collection today called Upside Down, and I uh, just want to shout out Josh Carello. He actually s- shot photos on film for this entire collection throughout the city, and so you're going to be seeing it throughout this campaign. Yeah, I just thought he just captured really what we're going to be talking about, and in this series, we're, um, we're going to explore what it means to be blessed. How do we understand blessing? And I want to ask this question, what... What is your understanding of blessing? In your mind, what does it mean to be blessed? And when you think about the people who are the most blessed in our world, who do you see? You know, the other day, um, I did a quick social media search on Instagram, and I put in hashtag blessed to just kind of see what we think blessing looks like, what we as a community, what we as a culture understand blessed to mean. And so I saw a couple posts like, I just landed my dream job, hashtag blessed. I saw another one, I'm getting married tomorrow, hashtag blessed. I saw another one, look at my view from the sunny beach in Hawaii with my pina colada, hashtag blessed. And there's this understanding that when all these good things are happening, when flourishing is happening, that is what blessing is. And I think it's safe to say we all have a picture of what blessing looks like in our lives. We have an idea what it means to be blessed. Uh, last week for the first time at our church, I felt really old because as I was going to each church member and asking, yo, you excited for the super bowl? And they're like, yeah, you know, I'm a Rams fan, whatever. But I, I was really excited for the halftime show. And I felt old because as I was going through our church and asking, yo, are you hyped for the halftime show? No one was excited. And I'm like, man, do you not remember Dre and Snoop and Eminem and Mary J. Bl-? Like she killed it. I don't, I don't know if you saw it or you listened, but but I remember I was thinking, man, I feel so old in our church. And I remember watching the halftime show and I was lit. It was so good. Zion was sleeping, so I had to be quiet, but it's like, da, 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 And I got hyped and I was like, yeah, da, 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 da. And, and I was just watching the Super Bowl halftime show. And the reason why I loved it is because all of these legendary artists, they were playing their greatest hits and there's something about greatest hits that just gets you out of your seat gets you moving gets your heart pumped and when we look at jesus i think if jesus had a greatest hits collection i think it would include his most famous teachings and his most famous sermons and there's no sermon that jesus ever preached that's more popular than his sermon on the mount And he begins his most famous sermon, his most popular sermon, with something that's known as the Beatitudes which is essentially a list of blessings, eight blessings describing who in our world are truly the blessed ones. And so we're going to look at that, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 1 through 10, kicking off Jesus's most famous sermon. And this is what we're going to be unpacking week to week, what each of these blessings has to teach us, how it reorders and shapes our lives in formation. Y'all excited for that? It's going to be good. Okay, Matthew 5, 1 through 10. I'm just going to read it for us. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You may have heard of this passage before. It's very well known. Christians like to weave quilts with the Beatitudes on them and put them next to their white Jesus paintings. Like, it's really popular. But we forget how how provocative this actually is, how uncomfortable, how countercultural, how surprising this list of blessings really is. One writer calls the Beatitudes a theory of happiness So hostile to the senses, because it's that radical and that countercultural. I mean, take any of the Beatitudes and think about our world today. Blessed are the poor. In our culture, driven by capitalism and success, it's the rich, the wealthy, the successful that we consider truly blessed and that we strive to be like. We don't see the poor on the cover of magazines. The rich are valuable, and the poor are dispensable. The rich are celebrated, and the poor are trampled upon. Blessed are the peacemakers. Shoot, our world has a propensity for violence and war and force. It's the nation with the strongest army that we consider the most blessed. It's 2022 and black bodies are still being murdered at alarming rates by the police. Asian hate crimes are still on the rise. School shootings are more prevalent than ever before. People in America fight harder to own their guns than care for the safety of our children. Blessed are the peacemakers? No way. Blessed are the meek. We are a generation that loves to tweet and post very loudly and compulsively every thought or opinion. We love boasting about our lives on social media. I do it too. It's not very meek. Blessed are those who mourn. We have no idea how to sit in our sadness. We just want to move on in positivity. We see that Jesus' definition of blessing and the world's definition of blessing are radically different. And so we see the Beatitudes are paradoxes. They turn the world's standards upside down. They're opposite backwards from what we value in our world. They clash against the dominant culture. And it begs us to ask that maybe the most blessed people in our world aren't the rich, the powerful, the ones who have it all together, the ones living in abundance, safety, or comfort. The gospel radically redefines what blessing means. It redefines who are the blessed ones and that those who are truly blessed are the ones that we least expect look over or write off. And this is what we're going to be diving into during this collection. We're going to explore each of these Beatitudes, making our way through this list of blessings, and see what each of them have to teach us about what it means to live a blessed life. And I think we'll quickly discover that the way of the kingdom is upside down to the way of the world. That the value system of Jesus is countercultural to the value system of our world. And until we learn to live upside down, we'll never tap into the fullness of life that God has for us. New Testament scholar Jonathan Pennington describes the Beatitudes as an invitation to flourishing Some theologians actually say the Beatitudes capture the Gospels better than anything else in the New Testament. There are treasures of wisdom hidden in this list that will lead us to live flourishing lives, but it requires us to adopt a new perspective, an upside-down perspective of our world. Here's a great visual from the Super Bowl for 50 Cent. This is the way we got to live, guys. We got to live upside down. It's my dream to one day just be hanging upside down and start preaching like, like, where's Mickey? And I come down from the rafters. I'm upside down. Anyway, this is how we have to live. We have to live with an upside down perspective, flipping the values of the world upside down because the kingdom is an upside down kingdom. Now, you'll notice that each beatitude begins with the word blessed. Blessed. Now, the word here for blessed in Greek is a word that's known as makarios. Say it with me, makarios. And makarios is a word that translates to happy, but another translation could actually be to congratulate, um, as if you would congratulate someone if they got a brand-new job or a brand-new puppy or a brand-new house or they got married or had a kid. It's like congratulations. And so these are some common translations, but makarios isn't the superficial um, circumstantial definition of happiness or congratulations that we're accustomed to. Um, English writer, Elizabeth Rundle Charles, she actually describes what Macarios in essence actually is. And this is what she says. Macarios is a heart in harmony with itself, at rest, content, satisfied. Full of all the music of which human hearts are capable, from the soft murmurs of content to the thunder of the many waters of ecstatic rapture, all that is involved in all the words expressive of human bliss reaching up to divine creative joy. Man, that's like the best definition of happiness I ever heard. And it makes our definition of happiness pale in comparison. But this is the type of happiness, congratulations, that's being expressed when each line begins with blessed, blessed. But at this point, you should probably be wondering, how does this work? Like, Mickey, you're telling me happy are the poor? You're telling me, oh, congratulations, you're mourning, yay! Oh, you're hungry? Hooray! Like, how does this work? It's not God's heart for his children to be poor or hungry or sad. So how do we make sense of these paradoxes with this understanding of blessing, but seeing all these countercultural things like blessed are the poor, blessed are the mourning? How do we make sense of it? And the thing we have to understand is this. The kingdom of God is both a present reality and a future hope. In other words, we live in the tension between what many theologians call the now and not yet. That the kingdom of God has come and yet is still coming. That God has won the victory, but that victory has yet to manifest completely in our world. And maybe you could think of an area too in your life where you feel this tension. It's like, God, I know you've overcome death, but why is my family friend fighting for their life against cancer? God, I know you've overcome the enemy, but why do I still hear the whisper of the lies that says I'm worthless and insignificant? And so the Beatitudes are descriptions. They become descriptions of oppressions that God is promising to reverse and is in the process of reversing. It's the promise that one day the effects of poverty in our world will be reversed. It's the promise that one day the... The the effects of pain and death will be reversed. It's a promise for reversal of the oppressions of the human condition. And in one sense, the blessing speaks of a future hope. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Day, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There's a hope that one day we won't have the poor among us. That no one will be hungry. There will be no mourning or weeping or sadness or death. There will be no need for peace because the world will already be at perfect shalom. There's a blessing promised to those who the world would consider cursed. This is why it says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs will be the kingdom of heaven where one day they will never lack or want. This is why it says, blessed are those who mourn because one day they will be comforted, never again having to experience pain or grief. And so in one sense, the blessing speaks of a future hope, something that is yet to come. But in another sense, the blessing speaks of a present reality. This is John 17, Jesus' words. My father is always at work. When? To this very day, and I too am working. In other words, there's never a moment where God is not moving towards the world in love. God is blessing his people despite what it looks like, despite poverty, despite mourning, despite heartbreak, despite hunger. And the Beatitudes challenge us to look at our present circumstances through a different lens. They, they force us to look at them quite differently, to look closer to see how God is actually moving. And so we can't get it twisted. The Beatitudes aren't an invitation to go and become poor or to go and find a reason to mourn. It's not asking us to become poor or mourn, but what it's doing is it's an invitation from God to join with him in his work of redemption in our present reality. And so, what that means is, church, we can't relegate our responsibility to the poor and to the hungry, to those who need comfort, to anyone else. It's an invitation for us to join in so that we can make God's promises in the Beatitudes a present reality. Christian Laura Weber says each Beatitude is an act of helping the poor, or sorry, is an act of faith in the radical potential of our world to be made whole. And so it's an invitation. It's an act of faith to join in God's plan of making our world whole. And so we join in the work of peacemaking. We join in the work of comforting those who are mourning. We join in the work of helping the poor. And so with all of this in mind, um, I actually want to read a paraphrased version that John Mark Comer wrote so beautifully um, that's made for our modern day that I found so beautiful and powerful. And this is how he interprets the Beatitudes in our modern-day context, and let's just see what it looks like for us. He says this, Blessed are the down and out, the unemployed, the underemployed, those being gentrified out of our city, those without a college degree, without health insurance, those who are spiritually simple, who have very little to offer because they are in the kingdom of God. Blessed are the sad, the depressed, those grieving the death of a loved one, the failure of a marriage, another miscarriage, the pain of their family history, the racism of our nation. Because one day, God himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Blessed are the quiet, the shy, the socially awkward, the uncool, the badly dressed, the people with six followers on Instagram. Because one day... They will be free from the tyranny of what others think of them, and they will take up their roles as kings and queens and confidence in God's kingdom. Blessed are the messed up, those who just can't get it together, the addict, the mentally unstable, those from an abusive home, because one day they will be so full of God's life that they won't know where to put it all. Blessed is the little guy, the people who get stomped on, passed over, who don't fight violence with violence, who people take advantage of and use because one day they will get all that mercy back with interest. Blessed are those who want nothing to do with America's wars, with violence in the name of democracy and freedom, but who know the true source of peace and prosperity is not in a gun or an army, who are willing to suffer to bring a new world to bear because one day everyone will recognize they are most like God. And blessed are the Christians in a post Christian culture that is hostile to all they believe. Even though they're made fun of, looked down on as stupid and mean and behind times, they get to share in the cross shaped life of Jesus in the kingdom of God. This is the heart of the Beatitudes. This is the heart of what it means to live in the upside down kingdom. And so with that, I want to leave you three questions. You know, we're not going to jump into the first beatitude this week. We're actually going to go a little bit out of order. And we have really cool speakers. My friend, his name is Reward. He's coming from Texas. He's part of Upper Room. He's going to be here in a few weeks. Um, My other friend, um, Heidi Dixon Kwan, who's from Echo Church, some of you met at a retreat a few years ago. She's going to be coming and speaking on one of these. And so it's going to be really cool just hearing from different voices uh, what each of these blessings means. But today I just wanted to give you an overarching view. And I want to begin by asking three questions that we can reflect on and chew on throughout the week as we prepare to jump into the first Beatitude next week. And the first question is this, what blessing are you holding on to as a future hope? What is a promise that I can hold on to right now and trust in as I wait, even though nothing around me looks like God's moving? God, I can't seem to shake off this depression, but I trust that one day I will experience fullness of joy. God, I'm overwhelmed by the injustice I see in our world, but I trust that one day all things will be made right. What is a future hope that you're longing and you're clinging on to for hope? Um, recently one of our friends, uh, when their son turned one year old, found out they actually have a terminal illness. And so for the last six months, this one year old and this family, they've been battling this, this illness that's just eating this boy alive. And I look at that and I say, God, like, how can you allow such suffering in our world? And one of the hopes that I'm holding on to is that one day, little, little Milo, that's his name, won't suffer. And one day he'll be made whole, and he'll be healthy, and he'll be made right, whether it's in this world or the next. And I trust, God, that you are moving. What is a future hope that you're clinging on to despite the pain and the brokenness that we experience in our world? The second, what blessing is God revealing in your present circumstance? What are some of the areas in your life where it doesn't seem like God is moving, areas where it seems like God ghosted you, but Holy Spirit is prompting you to to look again and say, God, how are you moving here despite me not seeing you moving? It prompts us to look deeper and ask God what he's doing beneath the surface. God, what are you doing in my family that seems to be broken beyond repair? god what are you doing in my career that seems to be hitting wall after wall god what are you doing in my city that seems so hopelessly lost it's looking at the present circumstance and saying god what are you doing here in my present reality that i can't seem to see help me see it and help me tap into what you're doing and the last question what blessing is god inviting you to become a part of Where is God calling you to join in his work of redemption? Where is God calling you to bring peace? Where is God calling you to practice mercy? Where is God calling you to comfort those who are hurting? Where in your city, maybe it's volunteering with the nonprofit that you've been connected with. Maybe it's reaching out to that person that you haven't heard from. What is the way that you could partner with God, join with God in blessing? And so I want us to think about these three questions throughout the week. And even as we respond today, what blessing are you holding on to as a future hope? What blessing is God revealing in your present reality? And what blessing is God inviting you to become a part of? And 99, I want to ask you this. What would it look like if we could become a people formed by the Beatitudes? A people who aren't aligned to the way of our world, who undervalue the poor, who toss away the mourning, who toss away those who long for peace. And what would it look like to see the world upside down, to take on the value system of the kingdom and live and be formed from that? One of my favorite authors, Brian Zand, he says this, the Beatitudes are not platitudes of sentimental banality, but dynamite to turn the world upside down. If we could be this countercultural force, this upside down kingdom that brings shalom and harmony and comfort and love into our world, how different would our city be? How different would our families be? How different would our neighborhoods be? And this is the vision that we would so align ourselves to these beatitudes and see God moving in such a powerful way. So I want to invite you to respond and reflect. And so why don't we close our eyes for a moment. And I want to invite you to a time of reflection and response as we think about these three questions. The first, I want you to ask God, God, what is one area where I need to hold on to a future hope? God, where is one area that I need to see you moving God, what is one area where everything looks so hopelessly, desperately wrong that I want to hold on to the, the truth and the promise that one day you will make right? Right now, begin asking God, what is a future hope that you're longing for me to hold on to? And The second question, what is a present what is a blessing that you're calling me to see in my present reality? In my workplace, in my family, in my relationships, in my love life, in my destiny? Where's something it feels like you're, you're not there at all, like you ghosted me? And where is God calling you to look deeper, And ask, God, I know it doesn't seem like you're moving, but help me see beneath the surface. Help me see deeper. Help me look with different eyes. I feel like God is giving some of you a new perspective in dead areas of your life. And I just feel like I almost get this image of a rose just blooming from the dirt. And it's almost like God is highlighting areas of life that that don't seem to be there, but are there. God, where are you moving in my present reality? And third question, God, where are you, how are you, and where are you calling me to join in the work of blessing? Maybe it's in your friend group where God is calling you to be a source of joy and life. Maybe it's in your family where God is calling you to be a pillar of strength. Maybe it's in your workplace where God is calling you to reform whatever it might be. Ask God, where can I join in the work of your blessing here in our world?